0: Most of you had no idea that there are advertising agents who specialize in promoting ministers. But many of the big-time ministers have ad agents to promote them. First time I ever heard of this was in 1982. I was already on radio in several cities. Robert Tilton, who was pastor at Word of Faith, came to me and said, Joan, you need to contact Michael Ellison Advertising Agency and sign with him as a client. And Bob said, he can do you lots of good. That's the first time I'd ever heard of an advertising agency. It turned out that Michael Ellison was representing Kenneth Copeland, Robert Tilton, Marilyn Hickey, had been representing Jimmy Swaggart. Billy Graham had his own advertising agent. I learned that many of the big-time radio television ministers have ad agents. The ad agent will say the thing that they do is book them on radio and television, which sounds reasonable, but that is not really what they do. They try to cause you to be popular in the church groups. They try to go into the cities and cause you to be popular. I did sign with Ellison. His agent told me that they could fill Soldiers and Sailors Auditorium in Pittsburgh for me, about 2,400 seats. They could fill it. All I had to do was this. They would go into town about a week ahead of time and visit with the pastors and try to get the pastors to recommend that their people come to my meeting. And then the ad agent said to me, there's just one thing, you must not speak anything on radio that would be unpopular. The whole Bible is unpopular to sinners. The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery? That's going to be very unpopular in the church congregations. They just haven't heard it preached. Once you preach it, it's going to be unpopular. So, of course, I couldn't do that with the ad agent. There wasn't anything I could do with the ad agent because everything they recommended to me was against what I knew a minister is supposed to do. The ad agent said to me, On your printed materials, put, send me your prayer request. And I said, Oh, I don't want to do that. And they were shocked. They said, You don't? And I said, No, they should pray. They don't send me their prayer request. They should pray. If they pray according to the will of God, He will answer their prayer. The ad agent said, well, Joan, you're missing a good bet because when they send you that envelope with their prayer request, they will usually put money inside the envelope. It was being done for fundraising. Well, I, I said, well, I'm not doing this. And I did not do it. They told me at one point that I could not send out any written material without sending it to them for them to edit it. I said, well, I can't do that. A real minister of God speaks what God once spoken. Around 1982, God showed me that the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And he showed me sins being committed by various big-time ministers. I couldn't get messages to the ministers because their workers would throw the messages away after sending me a form letter saying, thank you for your inspiring message. But I knew it wasn't reaching the ministers. God showed me a scripture, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, beware of him. And I knew by that scripture it was totally proper to name these ministers by name on radio and tell what they had done. That way they would get the message. Their own followers would see they got the message. So I did that. And I presented judgment messages on radio, naming the minister by name, telling what he had done. Hate mail poured into our office. Hate mail from their followers poured into our office i went to seattle to have a meeting for the radio audience and outside the door of the meeting room was the radio station manager he had always been very friendly to me but this time he looked rather stern as i approached him he said to me joan you have many wonderful messages Just speak those messages. If you keep speaking these judgment messages, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We might have to put you off the air. The Holy Spirit rose up in me and spoke these words through me. George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message and I may as well be off the air. A minister of God, a true minister of God, receives messages from God to speak to you. We don't just decide what we're going to speak. We hear from God to speak certain subjects. And even as I'm speaking certain subjects, the Holy Spirit will rise up in me to remind me of something else, and I speak that. We speak by the Spirit of God, a real minister. The other ministers who aren't really appointed by God, who have put themselves into the ministry, they're going to find clever stories to tell you, to make you laugh, and to entertain you and cause you to enjoy the service. We are going to speak by the Spirit of God, and for some who are disobedient, it will prick your heart. For others who are obedient and are grieving over the sins of the world, it will be like a cool glass of water. But we speak what we hear from God. So if we don't speak that day, the message which we believe God wants spoken, then we may as well not speak. Well, the ad agents only kept me about three or four months when basically I couldn't do anything that they said to do. And then they contacted me and said, Joan, we're going to have to eliminate some of our clients, and unfortunately you are one of the clients that we are going to eliminate. I thought I'd failed. I knew it was big time. I thought I'd failed. God gave me the following scripture. Matthew 4, start at verse 8. The devil taketh him, Jesus, up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto Jesus, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Obey me. Do what I say and I will cause this to happen for you. Then Jesus saith unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So what had happened is, the agency got rid of me, because I wouldn't obey them. I couldn't obey them. It was wrong. What they wanted me to do was against God. It was against what I read in the New Testament Bible. It was against what we should be doing as ministers of God. It's exactly this temptation, though. We'll fill this auditorium for you. All you have to do is don't say anything that offends anyone. Send out writings, but let, send them to us first so we can edit them. You can't do that. And then to get people to turn to you in prayer, how vile that is. Each of us pray according to the will of God. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You are the one who knows what your problem is. No one can pray over your problem more fervently than you can. Pray according to the will of God and it will be effectual. You don't go to God through me. You go to God through Jesus. See, it's corrupt. This whole prayer request business is corrupt. And they do it to get money. They do it to get your money. Because when you send that prayer request, usually you'll put some money in the envelope. It's corrupt on both ends. They're corrupt and you're corrupt. You're trying to buy things of God and they know it. At one point, Bob Tilton got $80 million a year from Prairie Quest. ABC Primetime News exposed him in 1991 on ABC Primetime Live. After they exposed him... His offerings dropped to $2 million a year. Still an awful lot of money. $2 million a year. But it went from $80 million to $2 million. But everybody's so corrupt. Both the person who's asking for the prayer and the person who's taking the money, who's soliciting the prayer request, is all extremely corrupt. I was speaking at a very small church in uh, San Angelo, Texas, After I finished speaking, the pastor invited people to come up to the front of the room for prayer, and then the pastor asked me to pray for them. I started down the line of people, and there was a very large black woman standing there, and I said, and what is it that you want from God? And she says, oh, I just wants more of the Lord. And I looked at her, and I said, now God will tell me what you're doing. She apparently believed that because she threw her hands in the, up in the air and waved them and said, "Oh no, Lord, don't tell her!" Well, the whole audience just broke up in gales of laughter. They all knew her. She was hiding from no one. I don't remember his praying for anyone after that woman. It just broke up the meeting. They're so greedy. They want some, they want things from God, which they're not able to get, so they think if a minister prays for them, they can get what they want. Well, if they pray according to the will of God and have a good heart, they'll get what they want by their own prayers. If you don't get what you want, you're not praying according to the will of God. Uh, That scripture is in 1 John chapter 5. You can see how I turned down greatness by failing to do what the advertising agent said for me to do because I believed and still believe it was against what we're supposed to do as ministers. At that time in 1982, my agent told me that Jimmy Swaggart had been one of their clients and he was basically trying to show me what they, the agency, could do for me. He said that Jimmy Swaggart got tired of having four or five hundred people come to his meetings and he wanted bigger crowds at his meetings. So he went to the advertising agency to see what to do. The agency evaluated the situation and quickly told him what he could do to get bigger crowds. Jimmy Swaggart was a country western singer and a preacher. They told him, Quit preaching so much and sing more. Put more music into your meetings. In other words, entertain the people and you'll get bigger crowds. Well, overnight... The crowds changed from 500 to 2,000. It would work, but it's wrong. Now ministers do it all the time. They put big choirs, orchestras, they do all kinds of things to entertain the people at church, to make them feel righteous, to make them feel good about themselves. And they leave the church service feeling good. And so therefore they come back. How much do they preach about sin at your church? How much do they tell you about various sins? Listen, I've been propositioned more for sex at church than I ever was in the world. Don't think for one second sexual sins aren't going on in the churches. They are. They should not be, but they are. One of the things we do today is exhort the church, warn them so that they will be awakened and not go in the way of the world. But when you don't warn them, and everything is fine and everything is wonderful and everything is good. When Paul said, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. that's. Second Timothy chapter three. Paul told us it would get worse. Throughout the Bible, we read of it getting worse toward the end times. We need exhortations, warnings, advice. We don't need to be told, "I'm okay, you're okay. We need to be warned against the way of the world. For the wickedness is increasing. Which means the great tribulation is coming. Because as the wickedness increases, that's the sign of the coming of Jesus. And the coming of Jesus brings the wrath of God upon the world and the churches who are disobedient to the word of God. But Swagger cut back on preaching and entertained the people and got big audiences. He got what he wanted. You can get what you want, but the price you pay for it may be exorbitant. What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I wonder about these people. Oh, they'll say, I have spoke to... 400,000 people in Pakistan. I spoke to such and such. I've been all over the world. I preached the gospel. Matthew chapter 23, speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, Jesus said, verse 15, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. You can obtain greatness in almost any field pertaining to this life, secular jobs, ministry, but at what cost? If you have to sacrifice presenting the counsel of God in order to be at that church you have damned yourself if you stay there and them you save yourself by leaving and God will give you some place to speak I have plenty of places to speak first he put me on radio in 1980 I didn't know what was going to happen to me I knew I was to be a minister. I was taken into heaven twice and merged into the body of Jesus, ordained as a minister in two offices, apostle and prophet. I knew I was to be a minister. My own pastor from the pulpit said, Joan is not a teacher, she's a prophetess. I knew I was. I knew I was. There was too much evidence. The people knew I was. Now, they didn't know about the apostle, but they did know about the prophet. And I knew I had to close my business and, so to speak, go into the ministry full-time. I owned a small business in Dallas, American Indian Arts. Another prophet came to me and said, Now, Joan, you're dragging your heels. You know you're supposed to be in the ministry. After that, I closed my business and did go into ministry full-time, July 31st, 1979. I had nowhere to go. I had no churches to speak at. I had nothing to do. I just stayed home, read the Bible, and waited. Waited until God showed me what to do. A job opened at Christ for the Nation in Dallas, where I lived. I could most likely have gotten that job i do have an earned doctorate and it was dean of women but it didn't fit what i felt god had trained me for so i didn't apply for it i just waited i waited for six months and i had no idea where i was going to go there was nothing to do and nowhere to go On the night of January 10th, 1980, I was asleep and a very loud trumpet-like voice, which I now believe to have been a voice of an angel, spoke into my ear, Hartford, Seattle, KWJS. I jumped straight out of bed. Immediately, I wrote KWJS on a notepad. It seemed to me it was call letters to either radio or television. I looked it up and found it was a radio station. And I said to God, are you showing me to go on radio? I wouldn't know how to do that. And immediately the Holy Spirit brought to my mind, call the radio station manager. So that morning I called the radio station manager and I said God might be showing me to go on radio, how would you do that? And he said, make an audition tape 29 and a half minutes long, and if you fit our programming, we will offer you a contract. As soon as I hung up the phone, I got my tape recorder and my kitchen timer and made an audition tape 29 and a half minutes long, took it to the post office that same morning, put it in the mail, sent it to the radio station manager of KWJS, And within five days, I was broadcasting exhortations for the church on radio station KWJS. See, God has a place for you to speak the message of God. He has a place for you if you're called by Jesus to do it. Now, many are not called. They just want to do it. One woman came to me at church one time and said, I want to do what you do. And I said, you do? I couldn't imagine such. I'd never thought of doing what I was doing. A lot of people want to do this. They want to do ministry work. And some have natural talents in performance, such as Kenneth Copeland. And they come into the ministry by fleshly means. Kenneth Copeland said he... When he decided to become a minister, he shut himself up in his garage and for two weeks memorized Kenneth Hagin's teachings. That's not the way you go into a ministry, if it's a godly way. That's a fleshly way. Marilyn Hickey said her best friend came to her when she started out and said, "Marilyn, you're the most boring teacher I've ever heard." So she got someone in acting to culture. that is not the way you become a minister. I have so many communications from men who say they are pastors. When I have a little experience talking with them, I find they're probably not even born again. One man came to my house one time as a bug exterminator and began talking to me about being a minister of God. And I said, how did, you, how did God come tell you you were a minister? How did he show you? He couldn't answer me. He couldn't tell me. That's the real story. They go to Bible college because they want to be a minister. And they tell them at the Bible college, you can call yourself reverend after you finish the Bible college. And they do. First time that subject ever came up in my life was in 1980. A woman came to me and said, I'm one of your radio audience. And she talked to me a minute. And she said, what do we call you, Reverend? And I said, oh, no. Oh, no. You call me Joan just like they call Paul, Paul. Now, Paul also called him himself an apostle, a teacher, and a preacher. That's because that was what God and Jesus ordained him to be. But he didn't call himself reverend. Neither did Peter. Neither did any man in the Bible call himself reverend. In Psalm 111, it says, Holy and reverend is God's name, is his name. They call themselves reverend because they want to be idolized. They want to be separated from the group. They want people to know they've got a call of God on their life and they're special. But it's not a call of God. When they do that, they are corrupt because a real minister of God won't do that. They want your praise. They want the praise of men. Let's look at Galatians 1 for just a minute. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Ephesians chapter 4, after Jesus, Jesus arose, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, he gave gifts unto men. Verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The gifts of the ministers were given to the church for their own benefit, for the church's benefit. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the work of the ministry. Some Antichrist uh, teachers had come into the church at Galatia. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that calleth you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. They had no New Testament Bibles in the time Paul spoke to the Galatian church. They had the teachings of Paul, which he had taught to them, face-to-face, and some of the teachings he had written to the churches on parchments. And they passed these parchments around from church to church. But some came in to the church at Galatia and spoke another gospel, which he says isn't another. There's only one gospel. It's the gospel of Christ. But they came in teaching perverse things. And these Galatians began, the church at Galatia began following these perverse teachings. And Paul's trying to straighten it out. And he says in verse 8, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. What is the gospel? It's the truth from God for the New Testament church. The man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery is the gospel. Matthew chapter 5 verse 32. The instructions for the church that are given in the New Testament Bible are the rules for the church. That's the gospel of Christ. God's story to the church. If they come in telling a divorced woman she can remarry, when Paul says if she remarries, she commits she'll be called an adulteress. Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39. Same thing. Let not the wife... Depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried. If you're going to leave your husband, make up your mind. You have to remain unmarried or be reconciled with your husband. That is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 and 11. This this is the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ, 1 Corinthians 6, At the time of sexual intercourse, the two people become one flesh. Therefore, if you have sex, even with a prostitute, you become one flesh. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. 1 Corinthians 6. It's approximately verse 15 through 18. That's the gospel of Christ. Paul says as we said before so say I now again if any man preach any other gospel other than the gospel of Christ let him be accursed let him be damned for that's what's going to happen to them when they teach you something that's opposite from what is written in the New Testament Bible so you must not stay with those people You have to leave those churches where they're teaching opposite to the Bible. There are many of us who have left churches because they were teaching things opposite to the Bible. If you stay there, you'll condemn yourself for not leaving because you will not have the love of the truth that you may be saved. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. We'll look at that. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There's a great deal of pleasure in going to a church. You feel like you belong. You go to dinners, you have social events, your friends are there. To have to leave that church because they're preaching something opposite to the Bible means you have to give up your whole life. Some of us did that. We gave up our life because they were preaching something opposite to what we read in the Bible. If you stay there, you're going to be damned. If you know that they're doing wrong and preaching things wrong, it's opposite to the Bible. You damn yourself by staying there. You can't do it. Galatians chapter 1 again, verse 10, Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify unto you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Basically, every one of us who speak the gospel, speak the laws of God, the things of God that we speak, We who are called of God we speak by the revelation of Jesus Christ because he will bring a scripture to our attention and teach us the truth and we speak that scripture from that point on regardless of what it cost us. I went to a museum dinner at Texas Tech University when I lived in Lubbock, Texas. We had assigned seatings at the dinner. My Dinner place was next to a man who was wearing the largest cross around his neck that I've ever seen. It was at least nine inches long, wooden, a wooden cross. I knew I was in trouble the minute I saw him because he was trying to show himself to be godly. People who wear things like that, that's what they're wearing them for. I sat down. And he began talking. He introduced himself and said he was a former pastor at Indiana Street Baptist Church. He said, oh, we've got such a problem at the church. We've built onto the auditorium three times and we can't seat all the people who are trying to come to church. I said, well, if you will teach what Jesus said in Matthew 532 that the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You will have no trouble seating the people because about half of them will get up and leave you. His mouth fell open. I fled the room. I did not stay for the dinner. Not going to sit next to a man like that. If we preach any gospel unto you other than that which you have received, let him be accursed. That which you've received from God, that's what's in the New Testament Bible. That's what we preach is what's in the New Testament Bible. I heard that Catholic Pope a few years ago say, well, I don't see anything wrong with homosexuals. He said it on a national news network. I screamed at the TV, what about the Bible? What about Romans chapter 1, verse 26? For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. A woman in our church group went, Before she was born again, she had divorced and wanted to remarry. And she went to a pastor and asked him if she as a divorced woman could remarry. He said to her, well, my sister remarried after divorce. I don't see anything wrong with it. Once again, what about the Bible? People who speak of themselves glorify themselves. The ones who speak what God says glorify God. So she went out and did what she wanted to do, which was to remarry. Later she was born again and read the Bible and saw she had committed adultery when she remarried. And she was furious with that pastor. And she told me this story. And the Holy Spirit said, well, wasn't she having sex at the time she went to the pastor to see if she could... Marry this man? So I said, well, weren't you and Edward already having sex when you went to the pastor? She was dead still. And she replied, yes. I didn't say any more. And what more is there to say? You're committing fornication and you go to a pastor to see if you will commit adultery if you marry him? You're already gone. But the pastor should not have said that. He damns himself, and he damns his congregation. And there's no repentance because there's no truth in what he says. So none is saved. They just fall off into damnation and think they're religious. Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today.